Our sermon passage this morning is from Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these." But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's good to see that you have put away uh, other things on agendas and schedules and made it a priority to meet together with the church. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, you have invited us to come before you your throne of grace, because it's your desire to give us mercy and grace to help whenever we need it. Father, we confess with all humility that we need you right now. We need you every hour. We need your fellowship. We need your love. We need your comfort. We need your forgiveness and we need your healing. We need to hear from you through your word and through your spirit. So Father, I pray that you will open our minds to your word and to your will. May your spirit move us and shape us into the conformity of Jesus your Son, and our Lord. For it's in his precious name that we ask these things and that we come together this morning. Amen. When Pastor Jamie asked me to preach, I was very honored and delighted and looking forward to it. And I said, uh, what, what, what's the passage going to be in? He said, oh, it's a, it's, a, it's a softball. I said, oh, okay, what is it? And he told me what the passage was. 
And I said softball. Okay, so we're talking about our relationship with material possessions and probably the most materialistic generation on the face of the earth, Western culture, Christianity, and I'm going to speak about not being too attached to your stuff. Thank you, Pastor. (laughs) He left right in time. No, Pastor Jamie could tackle all of these. But as we move through not only today's lesson, but the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, and the other pastors have said this, but just because you know something doesn't keep a pastor from rehearsing it several times, so here we go again. Everyone has said we're moving through a section where Jesus is introducing uh, new concepts. He's moving us away from an outward conformity to religious practices. I call that badge faith. Badge faith. Oh, I I don't do this. Here's my badge. I don't do this. Here's my badge. I don't do this. Here's my badge. As a matter of fact, sometimes if we listen to some people in the religious world, we'll hear more about what they don't do that they're very proud of not doing than what they do. Well, Jesus is moving us away from having a badge faith outward to an inward ethical faith. Inward and ethical. We've been saying these are kingdom principles. I'm going to change that last word and say these are kingdom ethics that he's teaching. And this is a radical departure from everything that these individuals have heard. When Jesus is preaching this sermon, they know, they realize the radical nature and the shift of what he's saying. In 1973, a Bible college professor, F. Leroy Fourlines, wrote a little book called Biblical Ethics. And in that little book, I was actually in his class shortly after that, and 49 years later, I can say that some of those concepts have shaped my entire ministry, both in counseling and pastoring and teaching. And In that little book, he introduced in ethics, he he told us about the two subheadings under ethics. You have morals and you have ideals. Under morals, you have right or wrong. Under ideals, it's not a this box or that box, but it's on a continuum that goes from bad to excellent. Under morals... It's not situational, not at all. It's this or this, and the scripture is very clear. Some people want to declare situational ethics and say this is a gray area, but it's not at all. It's this or this, and God is clear on those things. I think where some people are confused is they don't have the other part of ethics. They have morals, but they don't think about ideals. What is very best? What is excellent? For instance, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, The Lord God said that it's not good that a man should be alone. I will make a helper for him. He said it's not good. 
Now, that wasn't some moral indictment on what he had done. He didn't say, oh, what I've done is wrong. What he was saying is, I'm not finished yet. He had made the garden. He had made the animals. He had put Adam in there. Everything was lovely and great. And you think, oh, this is great. But he said, no, it's not good. I'm not done. Let me finish. It's kind of like where you stand on root beer. I think it's nasty. It's bad. But some of you think it's good. You don't have great taste, but you think, I'm kidding. But you think it's good. That's ideals. So it's on a continuum. So when you look at what we're looking at today, ask yourself, is what Jesus is saying today, which part of that has to do with morals, right or wrong? Is it right to do this? Is it wrong to do this? And then there's pieces of it that have to do with ideals. What is best? Okay, here's what I'm supposed to do. It's right, but how best can I accomplish that? And that's on a continuum, and it, it moves. The other thing in, in his little book, he was Dr. Forlons was talking about relationships. Our faith is always practiced in the context of relationships. Our relationship with God. How do we view God? Do we view God, as we should, as the sovereign creator and ruler and judge of the universe? The author of our salvation. Do we have a proper relationship with God? Because that is the first and primary relationship. And then the second is our relationship with ourselves. Once we see God for who he is, do we see ourselves for who we are? Do we see ourselves as the created who is in need of a, a relationship with God and fellowship with God and because of sin to be saved from our sin? Do, do we have a proper relationship with God? Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And then the third relationship is our relationship with others. If I do not have an appropriate relationship with God and an appropriate healthy, not narcissistic, but a healthy relationship with myself, then I cannot have an appropriate relationship with you. Can't do it. It'll be flawed. So I must indeed love my neighbor as myself, a healthy love for myself, and then a healthy relationship with others. And then the last relationship is a relationship with everything that God created, the material world, which is what we're looking at today. Relationship with everything else. And in that prayer of confession that we did earlier, it, it listed all of those things. But if I have a healthy relationship with God and I have a healthy relationship with myself and with you, I have a much better chance of relating to stuff better. So let's look at the passage this morning beginning in verse 19. We're looking about the first point is warnings about treasure. Warnings about treasure. Now, if you, if you say, well, I don't have treasure, let me ask you just a few simple questions. How many of you have ever said, I have way too much closet space in my house? 
Huh? Yeah, I've never heard that. I don't know why we put so many cabinets in here. How many of you have a garage and your car is parked outside because it's full of stuff? How many, how many of us own storage units because we have a house and our house is full of stuff and we have a place to go take our overflow stuff? Um, yard sales. We have yard sales so we can get rid of the stuff that we're not using anymore so we, when we get rid of it, we can replace it with more stuff. Our relationship with money, and I think about Tevia when I think about this. Fiddler on the roof. Tevia said, dear God, you've made many, many poor people. And it's no shame to be poor. But it's no great honor either. So what would have been terrible if I had a small fortune? A lot of times that's the way we think. Well, Jesus begins to look at that and he breaks this down into three juxtapositions. Three different things. The first one is material treasure versus heavenly treasure. And he said there are two places you can make deposits and how we look at those treasures, how we view our abundance determines where we deposit it. If we look at the abundance and we look at the treasure and we look at what's given us, God's given us, and we say, I've earned it, I deserve it, it's all mine, I'm going to keep it, then you know where, where we're going to deposit that. That's going to be in a earthly depository. If we say this is a gift from God, it's his, I have enough, I'm a steward of what God, I, this is just a temporary thing. I'm just passing through and God has allowed me to have uh, stewardship over this and I'm going to do it the way he wants me to. Then we're going to make a heavenly deposit. Very simple concept. Heavenly treasure, earthly treasure. Then he talks about a, a, an eye, a, a healthy eye and a bad eye. In verses 22 and 23. That, that's a Hebrew idiom. And what he's talking about is not just a physical eyeball, but two types of men. A, an individual that is generous, good eye, that is generous, looks out for the needs of others, is really concerned. I, I always, when I'm, when I'm reading this, I think about It's a Wonderful Life, and I think about George Bailey. I think about a man who took care of uh, other people. He had that little savings and loan, but yet he, he, he owned very little himself, an old run-down house, but he took care of other people. He had a, a good eye. And then Jesus said there's some with a bad eye, Greedy, self-centered, not looking at the needs of others, blind to the needs of others, stingy. That would be Mr. Potter. Mr. Potter was a miserable character. Greedy, trying to hold on to everything, 
trying to control everyone with stuff. And Jesus said, there's a good eye and a bad eye. They're heavenly treasures, they're earthly treasures. And then he said in the third juxtaposition, he said they're two kinds of masters. You can serve money or you can serve God. Obviously, we know that serving money, not serving God, is idolatry. We're putting something else ahead of God. Exodus 20 verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. And setting up stuff as a god is idolatry. But there's another piece of this that sometimes I don't think we think about. Serving money is never anyone's intent. This says you can serve God or you can serve money. How many of us ever start out saying, oh, it is my deep desire to serve money? No, no, no. We sometimes think it is my deep desire to have money. It is my deep desire to have stuff. Now, there's nothing wrong with a healthy relationship with that. But we start out by saying, oh, I want this so it can serve me. But and ultimately, ultimately, a lot of times, it comes to the place where it doesn't serve you, you're serving it. We have to care for it. We have to think about it. We have to rehearse uh, our financial plans. We have to, to put time and energy and thought into all that. And before long, the tail can literally wag the dog. So... Jesus warns about treasure, and then he moves from that down in verse 25 to addressing our worries about scarcity. We can be, we can be sidetracked by abundance, but then we can worry about not having enough. And by the way, I think this could easily have, we could have talked about the worries about having abundance as well. But here we are looking at the scarcity. And let me say this. In, in the ESV, it says anxious. Don't be anxious. Matter of fact, it says it three times. Don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. Anxiety is an emotional response Anxiety is an emotional and a physical response to worry. Worry is a mental exercise. Worry happens when we rehearse and we ruminate about troubles, whether they're real or imagined. Sometimes in the evening, I suspect, that you'll be sitting there and whether you're with your family or whatever and, and you, you may look like you're there, you may look like you're attentive, but sometimes we're checked out because we're thinking about what's going to happen at work the next day, what's going to happen with the stock market the next day, what's going to happen with stuff the next day, what's going to happen with uh, my, my physical health. And we ruminate and we rehearse and we're on a loop and go over and over and over that. That's worry. Worry has an emotional and physical, physiological response. Anxiety, angst, stress. Anyone ever say, I'm just kind of stressed out. 
That's anxiety. That's what Jesus is talking about. And at the very heart of it, there's the thought, what, whatever this is you're worrying about, is this is going to harm me. And ultimately, it could kill me. Now, that's the logical conclusion to it. But Jesus said, verse 25, verse 31, verse 34, three times, don't be anxious. Now, here's the good thing. Jesus never said, don't do anything, and he didn't tell us what to do, and we're going to see that later. In verse 25, he gives the object of the worry. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Food, water, clothing. If he had added sleep and shelter, he would have hit all five of the basic human needs. What do you need to stay alive? You need food. You need water. You need to be clothed, you need to sleep, and you need shelter. He's not talking about anything extravagant here. He's talking about things that are everyday common things for sustenance, for sustaining our lives. So he's already hit, he's already talked about be cautious about an abundance of stuff. Now he's talking about don't even worry about the most basic things that I know you need. You need these. But don't worry about it because worrying is futile. Now, did you hear that worrying is what? Futile. Now, I don't know who invented worry. I don't. But I do know who perfected it. My grandmother. <laughs> My grandmother loved Jesus and ham. She ate poorly every day of her life. Biscuits and ham and gravy and sausage and I, I can just, I can smell her kitchen now and I loved her. But my grandmother was a worrier. She was a Christian. She played the organ at our little uh, church back in Bonacqua, Tennessee and she was faithful. Loved the Lord. But the only Bible verse I ever heard my grandmother quote, the only one, you'll think, oh, it's John 3.16. No, it's Job 14.1. A man born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. <laughs> Thanks, Ma. That's uplifting. Jesus said you can't add anything to your life by worrying. Not even an hour. You worry, worry, worry for these things that you need to stay alive, these basic things, and all of your worry won't add an hour to your lifespan. You go, when you, I mean, really, when you think about that, you go, wow. Not only what a waste of time, but it's counterproductive. And then he says, worrying about these things is what the Gentiles do. Don't be like them. 
And then he switches very quickly to God's gracious provision. This is intertwined in this, and God's gracious provision. Verses 25 through 34, he talks about God feeding the birds of the air, and God clothing the flowers of the field. These are little things that he does in natural means. He feeds the birds naturally. Birds don't sit around and wait to be fed. They go and they, they feed on what God has supplied for them. And then he says, are you not greater than these? He says that twice in verse 26 and in verse 30. Are you not greater? God does this for these little creatures. Are you not greater? Are you not more the object of God's affection and love? Then in verse 33 is the key to the whole thing. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now here's what that's not saying. It's not saying, oh, seek to try to get into the kingdom. Uh, that's, that's already what Jesus has supposed these individuals who were following him and, and his disciples have done. They're there because they have an interest. They have been drawn. They have an interest in the kingdom and, and they want to know about, and Jesus is teaching them about kingdom principles. So what Jesus is saying is, seek the kingdom by changing your mind and changing your direction and changing your focus, your energy on your life. Embrace these kingdom principles, these kingdom ethics, and seek the kingdom of God. Seek to demonstrate all these things that I have been telling you. And when you change your mind, your emotions and your behavior is going to follow. Worry is an emotion. You will not leave. I'm not a bit afraid of you leaving this room today, walking outside, and all of a sudden, worry just falls on you like raindrops from the sky. That will not happen. Emotions don't have a life of their own. Anxiety, worry, are emotions that come from a thought. The thought is everything out there is bigger than me. I can't handle this, and I'm worrying about it. And Jesus says, change your thoughts. Instead of worrying about abundance, instead of worrying about scarcity, change your thoughts. Think about the kingdom. And when you change your thoughts, it changes your emotions. And it changes your behavior, and it changes your direction, and it changes your purpose. And that's what Jesus ultimately wanted to do, is to change purpose to focus on kingdom and not on self, to focus on eternal, not temporal. And then lastly, in verse 34, this is almost like an an add-on. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Basically saying, I've got this, 
Live today for God. Think on that. Do that. Go to bed. Get a good night's sleep. And when you wake up in the morning, start living that day for God. Refocus. Repurpose. Rethink what you're doing with your life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, our relationship with material things is uh, not simple. But I pray that with your word and your spirit in the context of your people, that we can help one another to have right relationships with you, with ourselves, with others, and with stuff. Lord, I pray that we might be stewards of what you have given us to further the kingdom, to help others, to show compassion, to show where our priorities are. And I pray that we would love you well. In Jesus' name, amen.